Welcome to Blink of an Eye, life stories of trauma, loss, awakenings, and epiphanies, beginning with one mom's journal entries recorded in real time of a catastrophic diving accident rendering her teenage son paralyzed from the neck down and the courageous fight to save his life. Told through unedited text and journal entries and inspiring guest interviews, Blink of an Eye will take you on a powerful journey of advocacy and hope and an unvarnished look at the true nature of our relationships and interconnectedness in the face of an event that changes everything. Season 2, Episode 10, Little Breakthroughs. Hello, everyone. I love when we listen in together. There really is a mutuality about listening in together. You know what I mean. An energy field that connects us. You and me and all the other listeners. Let's all send a smile, a hello to a fellow listener and just imagine them wherever you are, wherever they are. Hello. Can you feel that? It's real. We can create energy fields of light and positivity that change our experience with each other, even from afar. We know this now through the study of quantum physics. You may not have realized the natural resource you have at all times that you can send to others at any time you think of them, and especially in times of their trouble or uncertainty. You're going to hear in this episode about uncertainty, great uncertainty, which I imagine you can relate to. And in the companion Trauma Healing Learning, we will then take a look together at a particular communication skill. I will share with you one from my mediation practice that we can all use daily to improve our interactions when we need to work well with others. It's an especially helpful skill when we or others are uncertain. So make sure to tune in this Saturday for the accompanying Trauma Healing Learnings, Episode 10, Little Breakthroughs. I want to give a shout out to Margie Oslander from Philadelphia, who has been listening to the podcast and reached out to say hello on Instagram. Thank you for liking us and commenting on our new Instagram posts each week. We share bonus content and other expansions on trauma healing. For instance, last Friday, we had Noah Porton from Austin, Texas, a mindfulness teacher in training and a chronic illness advocate. She took over our Instagram story and she talked about what she's learned from Blink of an Eye and her training applying mindfulness practices in trauma. And I want to say happy birthday to my oldest, our daughter Paula. You know, we have birthdays and times to celebrate. Amidst our struggles, 
and times of uncertainty. As uncertainty is just a part of life. We are all perhaps experiencing great uncertainty as we look out into the larger world. We hear of horrific traumas in other countries. We cannot escape being impacted by what happens to other people. Like Billy O from Baltimore said last episode, but we can allow ourselves to be impacted in ways that are compassionate and in ways that do not cripple us and do not defeat our spirits. Remember that energy we create? Well, we can send it afar and also create a healthy shield of light around ourselves. Try it. For me, the energy in the universe is divine in nature. As I believe we are all created in that image. If we just tap into it and share it with others. So back to the blink of an eye story. I was becoming acutely aware of all the positive energy people were sending to us. I could feel it. I could see it. And it mattered. And you'll hear why in this episode as I was getting more and more frantic with grave uncertainty. And I believe I was not the only one who wasn't sure of the next move, the next step to keep Archer alive, as the chess pieces seem to be constantly moving. So settle your spirit. Settle your soul. Anticipate something good that will benefit you from this episode and how your life can be enriched and possibly further your own healing journey. Here we go. Back to August 2015. Little Breakthroughs. August 23rd, Sunday, Day 19. We would like to get Archer ASAP to Maryland Shock Trauma, but need this hospital to okay and advocate the transfer because lateral transfers are not covered by insurance. We need to get out of here. This is what I texted my friend, Lynn Brick, who was a nurse for many years at Maryland Shock Trauma and kept close connections there. I felt we were sinking at Atlantic Care, and something in my body told me we needed to get out. But we were trapped. Archer was too weak to be released and too weak to withstand what was necessary to keep him alive. I studied his body closely. His eyes closed, the tubes in the sides of his chest gurgling but with only slow, intermittent drips of bloody body fluids filling the receptacle. Unable to take full advantage of gravity, they had propped him up on his side just to the point where his vitals didn't crash. I couldn't believe this had happened again. All that day, Archer had been getting stronger He seemed to have rebounded. 
be yes, his heartbeat was still very low. But maybe it just runs low. I don't know, because he was in good spirits. But then tonight, he coded again. Coded. That's when someone in the ICU's body can't fight anymore to live. And the machines all go crazy with alarms and buzzers indicating grave distress. And that's how it was tonight. It was all hands on deck for the medical staff as they rushed in. And I watched from afar, wondering again if this was the end for him. It was like that feeling of being on a roller coaster when the big car drops precipitously and your stomach lurches as if suspended in midair. But tonight, it was a never-ending awful feeling of being in the lurch. And I wondered, when will this ride end? Come on, Archer. Come on, darling, please. You can do this. I clutched my little rosary in my Patagonia jacket pocket. I was also losing track of time. I glanced at the large school clock above his bed. The second hand was sweeping past 12 o'clock. I was always amazed at how quickly it got to midnight each night. Some ways, you wouldn't really know it was the dead of the night because the staff insisted on keeping the harsh neon lights in his room burning all night, ever since he's had a few more heart attacks. But I felt the night. My body felt the night. I was grateful, actually, for that feeling because the beginnings and ends of each day were starting to blur. I wanted us out of there and could feel a growing sense of, I don't know what it was exactly, maybe a little panic. I did feel trapped. I looked at the clock again. It was 12.03 a.m. I sent this message to Paula to post. Please pray today. It is Sunday. Pray to our Father. Pray to our Blessed Mother, Mary. I know she hears us. We need Archer's body to feel strong. We need his fibers to feel and remember the joy of movement with ease. I was surprised when a pulmonologist entered our room at that hour and told me they were considering more lung surgery. I didn't understand. What kind of lung surgery? He said they were considering various surgical options. I said I had hoped for a meeting with Dr. Tolucci so we could discuss the options together. Everything around me felt like it was untethered going off tracks. The nurses quietly came and went. As I listened to the wee hum, hum, 
Over and over, I realized I hated this place. I just wanted to get Archer out of there. And that sound, even when I drove back to Cape May, it haunted me. It was about 6 a.m. when a new doctor came into Archer's room. I hadn't met this doctor before. I wondered to myself, why was each doctor telling me they were considering surgery when they also said Archer could not tolerate even being rotated? I was confused. I wrote this message for Paula to post. The head of cardiology came in to visit and said he recommended a permanent pacemaker with surgery for tomorrow, Monday. He said it is the only alternative to try to get Archer over this hurdle out of trauma ICU. A permanent pacemaker for our 17-year-old son who is unable at this time to breathe or have his heart beat on his own? I again asked the new doctors if they would consider talking with outside doctors I knew. They said it would not be necessary. There were experts in their healthcare system. Then the chief of pulmonology came in. He too said Archer might need a permanent pacemaker. The chief of trauma entered Archer's room. I asked if he would be willing to talk with other doctors outside Atlantic Care who had cardiac expertise from Johns Hopkins and see what they might offer. Nothing formal, just a connection I could make, connecting the two people together just to talk about Archer and what might be best, an informal conversation. I smiled at them all and said, you know, Two heads are better than one, right? The chief of trauma looked right at me. He agreed. I felt God was present with us. It may have just been a capitulation since they all seemed at the ends of their ropes on this one. But this is how it happened that Dr. Raymond Tolucci gave the green light. My wheels were spinning as I knew I had to think quickly. Whom did I know at Johns Hopkins or the University of Maryland Shock Trauma who could help me navigate? I didn't know, but I did know a whole raft of people from mediation and facilitation over the years. I turned to the Atlantic Care Chief of Cardiology and asked his name. He said, Dr. Mohammed Haney Elnahal. Can you believe we were having these intense discussions and I didn't even know the man's name? A little jittery on the inside, but without any hesitation he would have detected, I asked him if he would share his cell phone number with me so I could text him and connect him with another doctor I knew. I told him I knew folks at Johns Hopkins and thought their experience might be helpful as we decided the best course of action for Archer. 
There was actually no doctor I had in mind, but I knew I could find one. I deeply believed in more than one view to shape the best outcome, and I would find another experienced doctor. I explained to Dr. Elnahal that I would text him with the number, and then he could call the other doctor, and they could talk doctor to doctor and share what they knew, and it would take me out of the middle and make things much more efficient. He gave me his number. We didn't have much time with surgery scheduled in less than 24 hours, and it was Sunday. I said a silent prayer that I could find someone today because a permanent pacemaker, well, it felt like a long-term decision with consequences. Archer was only 17. I really didn't know if it were the right course of action or not. I was coming to find out that it's not always the best idea, though, to go with what the doctor or surgeon says should be done when a situation is complicated. It was actually painful for me to be experiencing that because I placed a lot of trust in professionals and leaders. So I shared with the three doctors that what I wanted most was a thoughtful decision with good information that took into account the long-term consequences for Archer and the what-ifs. I knew nothing about pacemakers, and I also prayed I would ask the right questions. I felt this panicky sort of feeling, and I imagined my divorce mediation clients and how ineffective it is to just say, oh, you'll make the best decisions. They needed information they didn't have to make the best decisions. I knew exactly how it felt as I looked at these three physicians. So I decided to speak from my heart. I told them I was worried about the consequences of a permanent pacemaker for my son who was only 17. I said I was concerned with the hardware in his body, the maintenance, the infection rate, or the rejection rate, future surgeries. I wanted to know how many other 17-year-olds had pacemakers and under what circumstances. I told them I could not understand why Archer needed one when he had a strong heart and no bad heart history. And he seemed to recover on these little two to six second heart attacks. I told them I was concerned that once a pacemaker was put into his body, it would be permanent. Or could it be removed? I wanted to know what happens in the future if he doesn't need it. I wanted to know how many people get pacemakers removed Maybe he'd outgrow it. He was just a boy. I wanted to know how it would impact him in sports and using his arms. But when I said that, I noticed how the cardiologist dropped his eyes. I said, he's an artist. How will this machine affect his right arm? 
How will this machine impact any potential electrical impulses that might return in time as his body heals? What if he is not paralyzed for life? I really wanted to know. My thoughts were coming a mile a minute as my head pounded with questions. Where are pacemakers implanted anyway? And how big was a pacemaker? I had so many questions. I'm sure there were other questions I should have asked, too. I wonder what other questions you may have asked that I forgot to ask. It was a pressure cooker because time was a-wasting as Archer's body struggled to live. I then said, Look, I'm just his mom. I just want what is best for my son. And I don't know what all to ask, but I want the best decision. And I wanted to convey my confidence in them, as I know as a mom how important that is for good outcomes. And so I added, and I know you and others have wisdom. I vividly remember looking around into the faces of each of those surgeons. I did understand presence and power and the fact that they had all come together for the meeting requested. The head of cardiology, the chief of trauma, and the head of pulmonology. They were gathered and they were willing to talk with me. And it made me feel Well, like they were as concerned as I was and as desirous as I of making the best decision. I then said point blank, we have to get Archer Sempt out of here, alive, so we can start rehab and get his life back. The significance was not lost on me that Dr. Elmahal gave me his personal cell phone number. It was a moment I will never forget as the gesture itself spoke volumes to me that we were together. There was trust. We would figure this out like partners. It was the first time I had asked one of Archer's doctors for his personal cell phone number. It did feel a little vulnerable to ask I didn't want it to be invasive. I'll never know how he felt. I suspect it was a little vulnerable for him to give it to me. But I assured him I would only use it for this purpose. As I typed the cardiologist's name and number into my phone, I really did feel, for one of the first times since arrival at Atlanticare, like a drawbridge protecting the fort had been lowered and I would finally be allowed in. I remember they referred to him as Haney. I remember looking at Dr. Haney Elnahal right in the eye and saying almost without words, thank you. And I turned to Dr. Tolucci and said, thank you, Dr. Tolucci. Oh yes, God bless Ray Tolucci. 
he had opened the gate and I just needed to walk through. You know, I didn't realize it at the time, but a doctor's willingness to give me his or her cell phone number upon request would become my litmus test from here on out on this crazy odyssey as I was looking for real partners. Dr. Tolucci gave me his number that day, too. There were many more doctors I asked for their name and number. Some were willing and some were not. But Dr. Elnahal and Dr. Tolucci were the first ones, and I was grateful. But my mind was racing, a pacemaker, Archer's heart, Cardiac, cardiac expertise. Whom did I know who was a cardiac surgeon at the University of Maryland or at Johns Hopkins? As the doctors exited Archer's room, I opened my phone and I searched. Whom did I know who was a cardiologist? I typed in J-H-H-D-R and J-H-U-M-D. And up popped friends and many former clients, and I scanned the list, looking to see if I had any notes on cardiology or who could maybe connect me to someone else. Oh, my God. Hugh Calkins. Of course, I was not thinking Dr. Hugh Calkins, an expert in electrophysiology and heart arrhythmia, Internationally recognized, yes, Hugh. Well, I knew he would give me sound advice or get me to somebody else. Have you ever had that experience where it's as plain as the nose on your face? As my mom used to say, when I found something I was looking for as a little girl and it was right there in plain sight all along. Yes, Dr. Calkins. But did I dare call him? It was Sunday. But I also wondered if it was right to call him at all, as he was also a former client. But many of my clients call me over the years for help from time to time. But now it was I who needed help, and I needed a high level of help desperately. I wanted to, but I just wasn't sure. I wonder what you think about that. Well, I searched my phone contacts again, and up popped Jim Porterfield. Jim, yes, a neighbor and another generous and brilliant professional, a general cardiologist and assistant professor of medicine at Hopkins. Should I reach out? close my eyes and ask God for guidance. I need information, Lord, and I need it quickly from someone I trust and know has expertise. But you know above all else what I need. You see, I don't feel right about the idea of a pacemaker for Archer. I don't know why, but I just don't. It was sort of a quiet, nagging kind of feeling, and I didn't feel I could trust my own feeling as I knew absolutely nothing about cardiology and pacemakers. I sat quietly 
a little while at Archer's bedside with my eyes closed. And when I opened them, I knew I should contact both of them. I composed my note for what I would say. Dr. Calkins and Dr. Porterfield both answered their phones on my first attempt. I was so grateful for their time, their responsiveness, and you could have blown me away with a feather when both reported they were familiar with what had happened with Archer. Amen. The world can be very small. Dr. Calkins acted as a real sounding board for all my uncertainty, listening very carefully. And then he asked me questions. I could feel his genuine interest and probing. As we talked, I also noticed my head feeling less pressure. His questions of me begot more questions I had of him, but he patiently answered. And I especially loved it when he would say, Well, I'm not so sure about that. Let's think about that. As I knew I was talking with a thoughtful problem solver. It was also a turning point with Dr. Tolucci and me. I felt he saw us for the first time in a genuine way. I later saw Dr. Tolucci in the hallway and shared what I was learning. I also told him I had connected Dr. Hugh Calkins with Dr. Haney Elna Hall by text and phone. To have an opportunity to be listened to, to be able to ask questions until I had no more, and to have my questions thoughtfully responded to as we both got clearer and clearer together seemed about the best we could do. It felt like a gift. I felt it was God sent. I also really appreciated the cordial professionalism all four doctors showed by their listening to me, to each other, and charting a plan. But there were nuances about how that would happen that addressed my concerns as best we could under the circumstances. But each interaction and sharing information and considering the information was like a little breakthrough. You know what I mean if you've ever been in a high-stakes situation with small, incremental steps. I can't tell you how relieved I was. I am used to collaborating and thinking things through with others, and I had not had the opportunity since we arrived. It's true that two heads or three or four are better than one. My whole body felt more relaxed. Even as I watched my boy on the cusp of life and something else. You know, my experience of being on more solid ground did not change the state of affairs one bit as Archer was still in very bad shape. But what had changed was my worry and uncertainty. It was like there was a breakthrough 
where I felt calmer, clearer, and empowered. But more important, it was because of the fact we were working together. It was pivotal to me that while they called it a permanent pacemaker, we were not stuck with this decision forever. Hugh had helped me a great deal as I learned that while unusual to have a pacemaker in a child, it's also highly unusual for pacemakers to be removed, but they can be in a very delicate surgery that only a few people are trained to do, so long as the pacemaker has not been implanted for more than a year. But about 12 months after implant, the thousands of feet of lead pacemaker electrical filament that is threaded through the body and around the chambers of the heart begin to adhere to the nerves, making it too dangerous to remove the filament thereafter. But it can be done before. All I had wanted was to be informed and have a plan B if Archer chose in his future not to have that pacemaker. I realized the risk of Archer having more heart attacks was real and the pacemaker would kick on if his heart stopped, which would assure he would never flatline again. That was reassuring but I really did not want him to have that hardware and all those leads in his body. As to me, it screamed infection city. But I realized it was the better choice of two evils, as my mom would say when I was a little girl, to move forward with the consent of the pacemaker. I asked if the two inch by three inch by one inch box could be implanted on Archer's left shoulder, his non-dominant shoulder, in the hopes he had use of his right arm again. I explained to Archer that we could adjust the settings over time to turn it off completely and that we could remove it prior to June 24, 2016, just to be safe. I'm not sure Archer heard me too much as he was in and out, but I wanted to tell him everything that they would be doing to him. I had promised. When we had our meeting with Dr. Tolucci, I felt his relief too, that we were expanding our team of experts and thinkers. Maybe it was my imagination, but it felt that way. Little breakthroughs. You know, As Dr. Tolucci and I looked back over five years later, I was really surprised by what he had to say. And I was so moved uh, when you said there are some cases you will never forget, and Archer is one of them. Well, it is, you know, our our job, you know, it's, we we have a, I think the the day-to-day, you know, it's intense and extraordinary. You were my first contact, my first experience uh, with uh, trauma in a hospital. And I'm, I'm grateful to you 
Well, I mean, it, it, the experience is so intense. You know, it's not like there's a there's downtime. There's no downtime. No downtime. And it is 24-7, which is the reason why, you know, a trauma doctor cannot be, and, and it, would, it would not be in the patient's best interest to be that person's only caretaker, as, even no matter what level. So that's why you saw, you know, all of my partners all of the time, all of us very much involved in Asher's care. Um, likewise, nurses who, 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 you know, certainly worked with him for 12 hours at a, at a pitch, which is, you know, sometimes it's almost like, how, how does someone work with someone as sick as Asher was for 12 straight hours without completely losing it? The hospital staff were only allowing one person in with Archer. Paula arrived, and I met her in the family waiting room. She had brought a large poster our friend Hadley Feist from Cape May had purchased for Archer's room. Well, that poster, let me tell you about it. It was about a week ago when Hadley had called me about the healing sanctuary. She said she'd like to contribute some nature pictures, maybe a mobile. Well, the ceilings were very high, and I did not see how we could hang a mobile. So she asked about posters. I thought that sounded great. She sent me a link and instructed us to choose anyone that we wanted. I opened the link on my phone to show Archer. It was again a feeling like Christmas, but this time for Archer. As I held it up to his eyes where he could see the images, I asked him to blink when he was ready for me to move the scroll for him. But it was slow going as he was absorbed in each image, captivated, and seemed to savor each one. They were beautiful. Beautiful posters, images of forests and footpaths, rope bridges and tropical rainforests snow-covered mountains, creeks, waterfalls, ponds, the spray of the ocean. It took Archer the better part of two hours as he took in each photo, very carefully making his choice. I laughed because I had to rest my arms holding up my phone as he really took his time. I also told myself, it was just a gift to feel the fatigue in my arms because I could feel my arms. And Archer didn't mind when I rested. He waited patiently to be reimmersed in the picture experience. But when he asked me to go back a few pages with a few blinks, it was to one poster in particular, a gigantic green leaf tree up close that has light shining through its large boughs like the breakthrough of a new morning, the beginning of a new day. It's a breathtaking photo made into a poster, the kind of image that literally makes your chest expand as your heart swells with just bigness, you know, expansiveness, possibility. Yep, that's what he chose out of a few hundred images. I thought he chose well. 
and I told him so. It really spoke to me, too. I felt like it was the light in God's hand shining through those branches. Well, funny thing is, we both thought he was selecting a poster, but when Paula arrived with the package from Hadley, it was a huge mural. It was actually so big, there was no wall in Archer's hospital room big enough for us to hang it on, but guess what? It was just the right size for the room across the hall that had opened up. Here's part of the message I sent out later this day. I got his room moved. We went across the hall and with the perfect timing of Baltimore visitors, family, and McDonough friends, we moved into a sunnier room a larger room, a room with morning sun from the east. Baltimore and Cape May friends sent a nature poster of morning sunlight streaming through forest trees, the one image of many that Archer chose as his favorite. It is now on an entire wall of his new room as it is large and wonderful. And this is how that new room happened. Well, actually, I will let Ned Inslee tell you through our interview as he and I looked back almost six years later. Oh, Ned? He's a McDonough school parent, the dad of one of Archer's best friends, Jeffers, whom he played lacrosse with. Ned works and lives in Baltimore with his family, who are our friends, too. You will hear more of Ned as our story unfolds. Ned and I looked back on the day of the move across the hall from room 3117 to room 3111, a move we will never forget. Do you remember that day? I do. I mean, I, I remember it vividly. Yeah. Oh. We, had, um, we had made a plan. Well, First of all, I didn't realize at the time that you were a big texter. So I was emailing and I emailed you midweek to ask if it would be possible for Jeffers and a couple of friends to come down. And Billy responded first and said that, again, I, looking back on it, it's kind of humorous. Billy's first response was, it, it really wasn't a good idea and not a good time. And so I'd accepted that and, and, you know, anticipated it, to be honest. A couple of hours later, another email came through from you that said, Ned and Billy in Paran's smiley face, actually, it would be a great time. We'd love to have you. Is that right? And I thought to myself, okay, well, now I'm in a little bit of an awkward spot. Um, what do oh we do? So I responded to you something of the along the lines of, well, okay, let's see how things are tomorrow morning. We were going to come the next day. And if everything still looks good, then, you know, then we'll come. And I think I asked you to let me know um, because, I, you know, I, we didn't know each other that well and I wasn't texting you and I wasn't in regular contact. Yeah. So I um, waited to hear from you the next day and I didn't hear from you. So we didn't come. And eventually you and I reconnected the, the next day, I think I sent you an email saying, I'm sorry, it didn't work out. We'd love to make another time to come. And uh, you said, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. 
didn't realize you were waiting for. Anyway, it was a misunderstanding. So we replanned it for the following weekend. And, uh, and that's when, that's when the few of us uh, came down. Jeffers, Alex Harmon, Riley, and um, Kellen Rogers. I was, I was wondering if, I, if we could remember who yeah. all came. You brought a carload of yep. kids. Yep. But uh, the, the big event was, well, for, first of all, just seeing Archer was so wonderful. And him being able to communicate with the, the letter board. Yeah, the letter board has blanks. Yeah, was was remarkable. And and he was bright-eyed and I, I feel like happy to see his friends. He was um, so happy yeah. to see his friends. So what we also learned from that, the cardiologists and the techs were noting that Archer's heart rate, which was so low, mm -hmm. that's when they had declared him to have a bradycardial heart, would elevate when he would have these exchanges with so friends. Cool. So it was like the only reason why they were even allowing it right. because Archer himself was thriving yeah. because of, of you all and friends coming. Yeah. Well, that was just so uplifting to see him. And then, you know, we sort of somehow got, this is the beginning of a long, a long path that we had together. We got elicited into the process of, of moving rooms. Um, yeah, imagine that because it definitely wasn't planned, right? You're just no. going to see Archer. <laughs> Little did I know. <laughs> um, oh, it's like all these, you know, four young people and right. dead. Yeah. You know? So we, I mean, I remember putting things up on the wall and signs. I mean, there was so much, so much sort of happiness that needed to be transported from one room into the other and to make the the other room, which had much better light, and it was a corner room, if I remember. It was. There was an activity almost yes. that kept the 16-year-olds moving, but also connected with Archer. And, you know, while one could be talking with him, others could be moving things in and out. And it, it actually worked out well. And, you know, I was nervous on behalf. I, mean, I was nervous as to how they were going to react to the whole thing. We actually had a long conversation on the way down trying to prepare them for, for what they might see. Um, and I think the the opportunity to be active yeah. made it easier for them. You know, that's a really wonderful, um, that, that's a wonderful insight. Well, you, you know, those hospital rooms are so sterile. You I mean, if you're able to, what a great opportunity to create your own environment. Yeah. And you know what I also remember? Do you remember about the bed? That I wanted to turn the bed. You, you wanted it facing out, right? I did. Yeah. I wanted it facing out mm -hmm. because you could actually see out into Atlantic, Atlantic City, City through yeah. that window. That's right. Yeah. It is miraculous what people do for each other in crisis. It really is. I am sure you have your own experiences. It's also uncanny the timing of things. All that back and forth as to coming and then to actually come this day when Archer was so low again. But just when I needed another unit of Archer's army to help transform the new healing sanctuary. I think God's hand is always shaping our lives. I'll post a before and after video of Archer's transformed hospital room and some photos of the kids on the blinkofaneyepodcast.com website. Archer seemed to come back to life, literally, when his friends arrived. He needed his friends.
The hospital was still restricting visitors, but he really needed his friends, his peers. That's it. He needed his peers. Indeed, I would say that family and friends, but especially his peers, were his highest medicine, and his heart rate showed it. As I looked around our new healing sanctuary, I felt the energy of others from outside in ways that I felt supported. I felt their love and care, and it strengthened me. It did. My dear mediator friend and Baltimore mediation teammate of many years, Nancy Good, had flown into Cape May from her work overseas. There was a stack of cards from the mail that Archer and I were opening and savoring. There was another stack of 200 or more white postcards, each with a handwritten, personalized note or a drawing from one of the McDonough school kids in various grades who took the time to stop by a little table the school had set up in the middle of the campus with paper and pens to write Archer. Archer loved them. I'll see if I can find them and share them with you next time. And there were the pennants. Here's a sample of some of the 150 or more pennants in bright colors. Get well, Archer. We love you. Piper Bond. Dear Archer, God will heal your wounds. Love, Justin. Thinking of you, keep your head up. Go, Archer. Love the Mortimers. And there were more posters from peers with photos and sayings. As Archer's friends who came with Ned busied themselves in the new room across the unit, and we hung everything up on the walls, there was a feeling of liveliness in the air. But then the moment came when we told the staff we were ready to roll Archer's bed across the hallway and the tenor of the room was quickly sober as the medical staff was very serious with his move. They had to stop about every two feet of movement to allow Archer's body and his vitals to steady. As they wheeled him into the new quarters, we repositioned his bed so that he could see the outside. It took a little bit of time adjusting all the cords and moving some of the large machines, but it was worth it. Archer seemed to smile as he gazed out the window in silence, seeming to look at the tops of the trees outside his third floor window. Hmm. There was something about Archer and trees I knew it was still touch and go and that the surgery was a last ditch effort, but I wanted to cast aside the haunting thoughts I had for over a week now of the reality of losing Archer. We were not going to lose him. I had this inner feeling that it was going to be okay. Those trees told me it was going to be okay. The room was lighter and brighter and so was I and I think so was Archer 
As the kids and Ned left to drive back to Baltimore, I felt nourished. I could see. Archer did too. It also reminded me to thank others back in Cape May. I sent this text. Dear delicious Cape May cooks and keepers of the Semp's physical strength. First of all, you are amazing and incredibly generous to us. We are all grateful. And I might add, more than well-nourished. Thank you from all of us, especially from the weekend warriors when our home swells and many mouths are fed to and fro from Archer. Thanks to Kathy G's coordination and supplying me with Tupperware. (laughs) Our space is so tiny in Cape May and there are usually so many of us that we rarely have leftovers. But now I take for hospital lunches and dinners your good homemade food and am grateful for its good ingredients made I know with love and quickly heated so I miss little time with Archer when there. Thank you. I'd say with the drop-offs from Heather and Pam today that we are set for the weekend. Sending love. As mothers, let's say together the Hail Mary. I know she hears us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Ironically, as the evening came to a close, I received a text from my friend who had brought the Patagonia jackets for us. Hearing her voice buoyed me. What a great mom Archer has. Every day, more will be revealed as we say in AA. Please think about not closing your business. You need your work to thrive. Take a sabbatical to get Archer launched and have three good mediators working for you, plus one office manager. Just reinvent how you work for the time being with love. It was as if God's universe was always responding to me, sending me what I needed. I felt committed to this new course, uncertain as everything else was. I could feel the tension it was creating between Billy and me, but we would work it out. We would. As I poured over other text messages, one of the other pulmonologists I didn't recognize walked into Archer's room and told me they were doing an add-on surgery later that night. An add-on? He said, yes, the pacemaker implant is still scheduled for tomorrow, but we need to get into Archer's lungs to see if there is enough capacity. I was dumbstruck. It was just an announcement. No collaboration. Nothing. He said they would prep him and it would be at the end of the day, perhaps around 7 p.m. or 8 p.m. And he left before I could say, wait. Oh my God. 
I texted Dr. Tolucci and asked him to call me when he could about a new surgery. Another friend in Baltimore from Cathedral School, Kathy Lobo, the school nurse, texted me. She was not only going to our house to check on and to take care of our dog and cats, but she ordered a few bags of bright green bracelets. You know the kind. Lance Armstrong started them, I believe. Those customized rubber wristbands. She ordered them to say, Archer Strong on one side and pray for Archer on the other. The kids who came to visit were all wearing them. I still wear mine to this day. It was amazing, the movement in Baltimore that these little bracelets created. Thank you, Kathy. The seed of another wave of energy was planted this day, just when Archer's future was so uncertain, and he seemed so low. But these bracelets seemed to galvanize friends and family and other caring people across the country in support for Archer. One of my high school friends, Julie Sullivan, from our mutual hometown of Springfield, Illinois, she'd been out in Palm Beach, California for many years. She texted me. She started a Facebook page called Prayers for Archer to connect my high school friends at Sacred Heart Academy, the all-girls Catholic school, and Griffin High School, the all-boys Catholic school. Julie posted a picture of the Archer Strong wristbands Kathy had ordered, and people on Prayers for Archer began to ask how they could get them, many of them. The text over the next few days show that hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands and thousands, of Archer Strong wristbands were being mailed out across the country as Kathy Lobo ordered larger and bigger bags of green rubber wristbands. Thank you to every person who wore one and to the wristband packers and mailers and those who purchased them and paid for the stamps and the envelopes. It was a grassroots thing. Archer's army was alive and well and had many units. And when Archer and I saw them for the first time, I exclaimed, Green! Wow! For life! And Archer, still funny when he was lucid, commented using the ABC board and blinks of his eyes that the bright green color was Cathedral School's color. He said it was the same color of his many sports jerseys worn from kindergarten t-ball to eighth grade basketball championships. <laughs> That's right, Arch. Well, the green was very uplifting. And the cards and posters and flowers and postcards and prayer flags and wristbands, all of it such kind gestures. But they were more than just gestures, more than little flash-in-the-pan activities. They were the positive energy of others sent to us in tangible, real ways. They meant the world to Archer and to our family. And cumulatively, they seemed to foster 
the breakthroughs in every way. I was getting clearer and clearer that whatever happened, the place I wanted to be was at Archer's side. And I wanted to be his advocate. I wanted him to live. And I was learning too. Archer's injury was calling me to wake up and pray more deeply and authentically than I ever had before. And I found real comfort in words of prayers on the rosary like, lead all souls to heaven, especially those who have most need of your mercy. As I felt those words were for me, life can change in the blink of an eye. Life is so precious. Sending love. Hope for everything. Obtain everything. Thank you for tuning in to the Blink of an Eye story. You may continue listening this Saturday to the trauma healing learnings that accompany this story at Trauma Healing Learning Episode 10, Little Breakthroughs. Thank you for listening and telling your friends. Together, we are raising the vibration for healing. You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Listen on our website, blinkofaneyepodcast.com, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is sponsored by Baltimore Mediation. For 28 years, Baltimore Mediation has served clients worldwide by facilitating negotiation breakthroughs, believing in their capacity for meaningful face-to-face dialogue. You can learn more at baltimoremediation.com.